Um, oh gosh, an intro. I don't even know how to start this. Well, he does the same thing. He's like, uh, what does he say? I don't know. LCTs. Uh, I'm by LCT. God, I don't know. Welcome to. I don't remember. Well, and hello there, everyone. This is Lubbock Community Theaters Five Till Places. Thank, Thank you, guys. be fun. So as you can tell, Jed is not with us today and I am filling in as a the host and doing a sort of job of it. So thank you for listening. Uh, today we have a few guests. Um, for those of you who have just tuned in, my name is Heather. Charlie. Beth. I'm Daniel. And we have two guests with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Robin? Hi, uh, my name is Robin McCulloch. Uh, I've been working with LCT since about 2012. Um, I am here and I don't know what else to say. What else? <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you, Zach? Uh, hi, I'm Zach Kosterik Gentry. I am an LCT board member. I've been on the board since 2016. So this is going on year four. Um, I am also the theater director for Lubbock High School. That, yeah, that's, I, I teach kids. It's pretty much me. And he reads a lot of plays. Let me tell you, if I need info about something, this is the person that I go to or ask. Like, yeah, here's my parameters, Zach. Tell me what I need to read. Yeah, he should have been on last week's show. I know. I've been asking him. I'm glad he's here today, though. Yes, I'm glad as well. Today, we are going to be discussing in honor of Pride Month. And yes, some of you may be saying, uh, wasn't Pride Month last month? But Pride all the time. Just saying. Ooh. We're going to keep going. Pride um, is always thinks. That's right. Our top five LGBTQ plays and or playwrights. So I'm excited to, to hear this discussion. I, I know from my personal experience and my list that I have written that I have not seen very many of these because I live yeah. in West Texas. So the goal I is know to, that's right. <laughs> the goal is to know more about these plays and musicals so that we can champion to have them brought yeah. to our area. Yeah, and I already told the, the, the other members of this podcast this. Um, when I have almost no knowledge about this subject, it is not because... I don't enjoy them. It is because I just don't know a lot about theater. And if you've listened to this podcast, I have said this before, I have not seen many plays. I come to this late in life and so, or like hit a huge gap. I like did a whole bunch of theater in high school and then didn't do anything for like 17 years. And then have done a lot over the last like three years. So I, I missed a lot. So. Well, why don't important. you tell us about your first one on your list? Do you have one? Well, first, I actually got some other people to give me theirs, and so we should talk about those. Since we, like, submitted, we're like, hey, people, give us some of yours, and nobody commented on our thing, at yeah. least on mine. So I, like, yeah. reached out to people, and I was like, people, you got to tell me. So um, I have never seen or read No Exit. Do y'all know No Exit? Oh, I'm familiar with No Exit. Um, but apparently it has uh, some LGBT themes, um, and that was uh, Danae, one of my friends, um, sent that one. She's like, I love that play. And it might be something that we could look at 
um, because it's basically just three people talking the whole time is a kind of a play that might be uh, good to look into for the situation we're in right now. That is an unfortunate part of (laughs) shows that we are looking at doing. So those of you unfamiliar, No Exit is a 1944 existentialist French play by Jean-Paul Sartre. Sartre, what what am I I saying? Sartre, I think is how. Sartre. I need people who are more intelligent and educated than me to tell me those types of things. It's because French. It's not your fault. It's true. That show um, also played a pivotal role in uh, Mr. Robot, just in case anybody cared. I do care. This is why you're here. <laughs> um, it's actually, isn't it part of like three other plays? So it's like No Exit, uh, maybe The Flies. I can't quite, I remember it being like part of a trilogy of something. I don't know. I really should have done more research and actually looked into this instead of just having the name and hoping one of you knew what I was talking you, about. You were like, here's a title. Go. Everyone else discuss it. Yeah. That's cool. And I also like how I took us off of our usual um, lineup so that it'll be very difficult for us to keep in mind who's next. So well, no, it's okay. It's okay. I, uh, I had one more. Um, so um, a guy named Roy, who is actually a gay man, um, was in A Normal Heart, and he said that he loves A Normal Heart, and um, we should absolutely be sure and mention that. So That's uh, in my top five. I'm going to tell okay. you right now, I said to Robin earlier on this thing, I said, A Normal Heart is going to be in Zach's list. I know for sure, 100%. <laughs> well, then, then, then do we want to lead into that? Do you, do you want to just go and you can talk about it, and then we'll go in a weird order? Zach's, Zach's my first my first window, so it works for well, me. There you go. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, Heather's like top five, and I'm like, okay, do I have to put those in order? And I just can't. So I love them all equally. Um, but Normal Heart is definitely in my top five. Uh, what it is, it centers on a man named Ned Weeks, who is a gay activist. Uh, he is very upset at the way that New York and like the United States is handling the AIDS outbreak in the the 70s, 80s. And so it's basically his fight to, you know, get people to take notice. Um, And so it's it's just really good. I don't know, there's like, there's a love story involved. There's, you know, there's just great characters. Um, I think there was a movie made on HBO with, Mm Matt Palmer, Julia Roberts. Mark Ruffalo, right? Yeah. I actually really love Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. So it's really good. And then, uh, so Larry Kramer, and I, I think he just passed away this yes. year. And I'm not sure if, if what he wrote after is a prequel or a sequel to The Normal Heart. But there's The Destiny of Me. Um, and so it it still centers on the one of the characters from the normal heart. Um, it's on my reading list, so it's a really good piece of theater. I wanted to do it forever, but I can't decide if I want to like act in it or direct it. I don't know. Can't do both, but depending on who you are, I assume Why not? some people think <laughs> that. Can't do both. <laughs> um, I. I, I knew I knew it would be on your list 100% because we've talked about it before like you're kind of a champion for that play in general and especially with all the history of his passing this really even just within the last couple of months I would say like yeah, in the last I two months maybe quarantine yeah it was during quarantine 
All right. So, um, Beth, Xbox. Beth, who's, tell me your next one. I discovered this week in looking at this topic that I am woefully unequipped to participate in this conversation and have accepted it as a learning opportunity, which I hope the entire, this entire, well, all of our episodes, but the last few especially have been extreme learning opportunities, which I love. So I don't have, I couldn't even come up with five. Isn't that horrible? I've not been exposed to enough. So same boat. I will tell you that my number one, and you guys already know what it is. I do. Anybody, anybody who's been on the podcast already knows what it is. I do. It was my first year out of high school, and that's rent, because that was the first time that those themes, the themes of same-sex couples, uh, the LGBTQ community moving forward, um, it was framed in the AIDS epidemic of the 80s. That was the first time any of that was presented in a public way to me at all. Now, I had some friends from high school who were kind of outish, and I grew up in central Oklahoma. We didn't, I didn't know anything about any of that, um, and it was a whole new world, and rent exploded onto the Broadway scene and kind of changed the format around and introduced all of these these themes, and I fell in love with it, and I'm still in love with it to this day. I know every word. It's my so, Hamilton. So I will admit the only thing I had ever seen of Rent was the movie and I could not get into it. I just, I just didn't like it. It's it okay. Um, it's so the original, most of the original cast, so, but it's yeah. all right. So I decided um, I, I, I wanted to watch like a stage production of it and they did one in like uh, 2008, I think is what year it was. Mm-hmm. And okay. they did, it was, it was, no, no, it was like they, it was a Broadway, it was the last Broadway um, That's my favorite recorded and so, version. Um, so I, I have watched the first act. I haven't finished because I started it yesterday. <laughs> I'm glad you found it because um, I can't find it anywhere. That is literally um, my favorite version that I have um, seen. And I still don't like the first song. So I think that might be my issue. <laughs> that first song, I was just like, it just takes a little bit to get into. It's kind of like Shakespeare, like like because you've got to like get into the, oh, they're never going to stop singing. This is what we're in now. Like that whole opera feel. It's a rock thing. opera. But man, when they got to the song with the candle that I can't remember the name of. Oh, like, will you mm-hmm. light my candle? I was oh. like, okay, well, okay, this is pretty good. So, um, so I would, because that song was awesome. And that lady is real pretty. So, <laughs> so then, <laughs> she is. So I don't remember her name, but um, she was on Zoe's Infinite Playlist as well. And <gasps> good, so. I did not put that two connections yeah. together. Yeah, she's she's the mean lady upstairs. That Look sings, at you, so. pop culture reference. This yeah. is why we Rachel, have you. Rachel. Rachel's the one who pointed that out. I did not recognize her from that. I was just like, she's in Hamilton, and in, anyway, it's a whole thing. So a lot of people from that original cast are super mega stars now. Yeah. yeah. Adele Menzina and Tay Diggs and um, which is interesting to me because Martin and Anthony I do not think that Broadway stars necessarily always translate easily to mega movie stars and so to me that's really interesting that so many of those actors did go on to have successful careers outside of Broadway and Anthony Rapp is on 
Star Trek to Discovery. Discovery. And mm-hmm. so now we've brought it Broadway to Star Trek. Is there anything better? Well, <laughs> his name. Um, I, the <clears throat> Angel's boyfriend in Rent. I can never remember his name in that movie. Jesse Martin. He was on Law and, Law Order. and Order. He was yeah. on The Flash, too, for like, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. like the whole time. So, like, mm-hmm. there you go. And, and scheduled some... to be in a biopic about Marvin Gaye. He looks oh, that's just like fantastic. Him. I love But that. I don't know if that project ever happened. I want project. you to know. Listen to me talking like an insider. I want you to know how proud Jed will be of you to have managed to put Star Trek in this yeah. episode as well. <laughs> right now, while he's listening to this editing, he's like, yes, yes. <laughs> so, All right, so I want to hear I from help Robin. It. Robin, tell us what your first pick is. So, yeah, mine actually are kind of in order. Um, my number five is uh, called And Baby Makes Seven by Paula Vogel. Um, that is about, uh, so it's a queer sort of trio. You have Peter, who's a gay man, and then a lesbian couple, Anna and Ruth. Um, and he is helping them have a baby, basically. Um, but they've been living all this time with, like, these three imaginary children. And so the way that they cope with, like, having this new baby come into the house is they argue with each other as the children and then try to attempt to kill each of the imaginary children off in preparation <laughs> of having an actual baby. And Whoa. it's it's got themes of loss and the death of your inner child and it also grants insights into the kind of like unique fears and concerns that queer people have about parenthood. Um, wow. Especially back when it wasn't as normalized. Um, and even, I mean, even now it's impossible to, uh, you know, find people willing to help you uh, have a child if you're uh, gay, just because that's how our country is right now. But, you know, it, it was even even less of a possibility 40 years ago. So, you know, it's, it, it's a very, it's written from a very different mindset. Um, and even the author uh, has acknowledged, like, this was written when I could imagine, like, some sort of, like, utopia, you know, for freedom of sexual rights for queer people. But that is not a mind, that's not a hope that I have anymore. Um, so that's, it's, it, that's why it's my number five is because it's sort of like, it's not really super relevant anymore. Like a lot of the, the mindset of like how queer people would be living in this day and age is like, out, is like not, it's very dated. It's obviously not how things are, but it's still a very interesting observation of like loss and parenthood from a queer, queer perspective. I think it show, I show here Vogel say, says it's kind of like watching Back to the Future part two today. <laughs> when, when you're like trying to view what this vision of the future America yeah, and was gay very, family. Yeah, it's very, it's a very, very apt observation. That, that's super interesting. I'd never heard of that. Yeah, I've never heard of that play. It's, it's a far cry. It's a far cry from the gay families we see on television shows today, like Modern Family and the New. Oh Mommy. yeah. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Sorry. Let me see here. Charlie, Charlie, what is your? Uh, So mine are also in order. Um, I picked Rent as my number five. Um, And I just wanted to say, uh, to add to the conversation that we just had, um, this was uh, a show that I saw in high school. uh, The first time I ever saw a positive um lgbt relationship uh growing up in uh, a very conservative christian household going to very conservative christian schools um this was the first time i ever saw anything besides 
I think Will and Grace uh, on TV. Um, and Will and Grace is just kind of, it's, you know, of its time. Uh, so it was, it was really great to, uh, to see Rent and to experience, you know, all the greatness, uh, even if people don't, you know, love it now or, um, you know, the movie isn't as, uh, good as the stage play. So, um, yeah, Rent's my number five. You know, the, the, I, oh, no, go ahead. I think that it's really an interesting way to it's it's almost a checking of my privilege in that essence, because I think we have discussed reasons why, you know, we don't like this movie or we don't like that. And the the, the reasoning behind why someone can be so attached to a specific movie or representation is because they just haven't had it there's not all these multiple examples for you to go, this is my favorite and this is my favorite. So, you know, I think that that's, that kind of got me in my heart a little bit right there, Charlie, because I wouldn't have ever thought about it in that, in those terms. So yay rent. What I was going to say, the movie versus the play, I think the reason I can get into the play more is because (sighs) just the the theatricality of it like them running around and like sliding on tables and stuff just fits when you're in a theater but like it's weird in a movie like I don't don't know why and I've seen other musical like I love La La Land and that big opening scene on you know of all the cars and stuff is super theatrical and stuff but it works it's fine for some reason in Rent the movie it just I don't know I think maybe because it never stops and so like it is I don't know it's weird and and, and my problem with Rent the Movie is, like, I, I totally get that's the original cast for the most part. But they're all, like, in their 40s and 50s. And they're, you know, they just look old. And, like, in the stage production, they're 20, in their 20s, early 30s. Like, I, I don't know. It was just hard for me to... to at some point, you're looking at those 40-year-olds and going, at this point, you should know to pay your... Your rent and all of that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's kind <laughs> of like watching, expecting all the kids on 90210 to have been teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Actually, to me, when I look at that too, the, the, I have to get away from understanding that it's not technology versus uh, gentrification, essentially. But it's because I do look at it. Oh, my gosh, look, we could put your stuff in this. Let me help you with this technology. Movies and film and social media is going to be life changing. So in my head, I'm thinking, let me be like Benny, but let me figure out how to talk to you. I'm sorry, my baby. Let me figure out how to talk to you so we can join forces for good. I don't know. <laughs> Let me see. Yeah, I want to hear from. Uh, oh, it's me. It's me, yeah. man. Let me pick up my baby. Hold on. Yeah, cause half of, half of the group picked Rent as their first one. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to go back to a little LCT nostalgia. So um, I had never actually. Uh, this is this goes to show how. Um, behind the times I I was at at that time. I'd never heard of Laramie. And when LCT ended up doing Laramie Project, and that's by um, Moses Kaufman Mm. and the members of the Tectonic Theater Project, they did this in 2001. And it's detailing um, 
the the death of a young man uh, to a uh, a hate crime, and it's all these vignettes, interviews, and from from family members, friends, and just the the town that they were in. And I was it's one of those things that I'm always proud that LCT does occasionally stand up and, and put out some poignant theater that has something to say that's what I think some of our board members like to call a medicine show or something like that. I I am very intrigued by that type of theater, the presentational side of it, the the real life stories. Um, so yeah, that was my my number five. Heather, and they, so they wrote a follow-up to that show Ooh. called uh, <laughs> 10 Years Later. I think it's like the Laramie Project 10 Years Later. I haven't read it, but it's on my list like to read at some point. I wonder if it's the same style because that might be something that's doable, especially since we have done it in the past to kind of mm -hmm. revisit it. I would yeah. be interested in reading that too. Yeah, I, I know of it. I have never actually seen it. So it's one of those ones I remember when that stuff happened. Um, <laughs> um, so it's one I would like to read, but I have not or see. Well, what's another one that you like, Daniel? Because you're next. Okay, um, so it's another one where I saw the movie, Cabaret, or the, the movie. I, I didn't love the movie. Like, I loved uh, Liza Minnelli in it. And that was like really the rest of the movie just didn't work for me. So I was like, I'm going to try again. I'm going to watch a stage production version of it and see if I can get into it. And I watched one, I think it's 93. Um, and it's got Alan Cummings as the MC, And it was awesome. And I loved the stage version, except the lady who played Sally Bowles. Like if you could just take Liza Minnelli and put her in that stage uh, production, because that lady... Uh, Zach doesn't seem to agree with me. So was it Natasha Richardson? No, it was not. Okay. It was it was the lady before. So the version I watched was it was a version. Uh, it was like ninety three. So I think ninety. I I'm not sure on the years. I think ninety eight or ninety six is when uh, she came in, um, and she's the more well known version. This was a lady before her. Um, and it I just the way she did like her quirky was not enjoyable to me like it was just annoying and so I liked like everybody but her and it just sucks because she's a very important part of that show so but like the subplots in the stage production as opposed to the movie are just so much I like care I like I cared about the uh, Mrs. Schneider um, whereas I didn't really care about the friends um, in the movie version um, and saw that stuff and that one song that Mrs. Schneider sings um like her first song is so good. I can't, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Like, why not? Or I tell you, I saw TTU's version and I loved what they did. I loved that it was interactive. We sat right on that front row where like people were coming and sitting on the tables with, oh, man, with us so and everything. It was great. I loved, I loved watching it. Man, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a heck of a show to be in. So there's an interesting point that ties nicely to our topic with Cabaret. Um, <clears throat> Joel Gray that played the first MC was closeted for most of his adult life and oh. did not come out until much, much later in his life. I heard a really, really good interview with him on Fresh Air. You can stick that in your Jeopardy file. 
Well, <laughs> he's one of the few people who have won a Tony and an Oscar for the same role. Oh, cool. So for that, for that, for the MC. And you know, if you've never read it or seen it before, let me tell you that ending is, that's, that's an ending. That is yeah. an ending. I had never seen Cabaret before until I saw the TTU production. So yeah. sorry, Liza. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's mine. Zach, we're back around to you. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, one of the shows on my list is She Kills Monsters. Um, and I'm, I looked up how to pronounce his name. And so I hope I get it right. Hui Gwyn. So basically what this show is, is you have like this older sister who's a teacher. Um, and before the play begins, her sister and parents have died in a car wreck. Um, and so she is in the process of like cleaning out her sister's room, um, moving, and she finds a Dungeons and Dragons journal. And so she begins to play it. Um, and so through the process, she discovers that her sister was kind of being bullied for, for being gay. Um, and she, um, and she just also discovers that her sister was gay. And so, uh, it's kind of that storyline mixed with how does she deal with her grief? And so she goes through the grief cycle through Dungeons and Dragons, like playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's just a really fun show. I have a, a scenes from ready to go for UIL one act play one day, but that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah we, I think we've talked about that show a couple times on here. Yeah, uh, it yeah. is one that... Yeah. Passionate. I think I think that we talk about that one about like we do rent. I think I think it's <laughs> obvious that we are wanting this production to come about um, in our subconsciousness. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Yeah, I want to do it. It's a great it's a great piece for teenagers like to introduce them to that type of theater and I don't know just and. I Again, I'm really excited about the fact that this author and writer specifically revamped it yeah. for post-COVID Zoom type uh, staging. And yeah, so that's another that's awesome. reason I really want to read his updated version um, mm -hmm. because, I mean, that's, that is what everyone's looking for right now. Yeah. And he has, an, he has another version out. It's like the Young Adventures edition, which I guess is like the high school version. I'm assuming it takes out all the language, but he like, I think that says a lot about him as a playwright that he's willing to change his work to fit specific audiences. I don't know. That's just really admirable to me. I agree. I agree. Beth. Okay. My second choice is not an entire show, but a section of a show. And we have been talking about shows that were monologue themed in some other meetings and stuff, but it's the, the portion from Love, Loss and What I Wore about the two women who are talking about their relationships falling apart and finding love again. And then at the end of the little section, you realize that they're the ones that fell in love with each other. And I thought it was, it's Nora Ephron, so how is it not beautifully written? But I thought it was wonderful, and I loved it. Okay, so I was literally in a production of that, and I do not it remember. It was that production that I, don't I saw. Which one was that? Which, which monologue was that? It was Aaron and another, another woman. Man, I'm, I black out when I'm doing shows. I'm like, well, I'm going to memorize my lines. 
they're talking about the wedding dress, right, Beth? Yes, that's yeah, right. I remember, I remember it. I now I remember it. Okay. Yeah, no, I you know I particularly love that show in general. Um, I'm I I really bonded with some ladies that I I participated in that. It was a it was a labor of love for sure. I don't know who's next. Is it, Sorry. Is it Robin? Robin. My number four is Bent by Martin Sherman. I think it's important to have one on the list that is um, like historically sort of very uh, accurate to events that happened. Um, Bent is a tragedy revolving around Nazi Germany and the Night of the Long Knives. Um, it's <clears throat> despite the, you know, the, the very, um, the violent content, um, I think it's a very important piece um, and it increased uh, the amount of research and awareness that was going into how Nazis were persecuting homosexuals um, at the time um, because before that it really wasn't as like like now we know very much so that like you know uh, gay and disabled people were persecuted as much so as you know like just to the same extent after you know uh, the Jewish people were um, so it's but you know back before this play came out, it wasn't as widely known or accepted that um, the, the Pink Triangle was not something that was as widely known. Um, that was, you know, put on uh, homosexuals to wear just as the star was put on uh, Jewish people for them to wear. And as you can, you know, probably guess, it is a it is a story about a, you know, a gay love in uh, Nazi Germany. It does not have a happy ending. However, it is still, again, it's very important to recognize that part of history and know that it happened and have that uncomfortable conversation so that it's something that we're aware of so we know to, that not to repeat that ever again. And Robin, who wrote that show again? <clears throat> uh, Martin Sherman. Robin and I had kind of been, been talking previously, kind of before we started, and it, what, it was this idea of, it's it's important to tell those stories the the traumatic part the 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 pain and and the hurt that has happened and sometimes it feels like that's almost the majority of the stories and that we want to figure out how to make sure that there's equal representation in in home life and love and romance and comedy and how we don't want to feel and like the only stories they get to tell are the trauma. Honestly, like, and like, like Heather was saying, we were talking about it sort of before we went on. And like I was saying, like then, like when I was doing research for this list, it's like of this, of the stories that I was like looking at, it's like 20% of those were like, okay, that's an interesting concept on like a take on how like queer people perceive the world. But of the other 80%, half of that was the AIDS epidemic and the other half was Nazi Germany. And it's like, yes, important stories to tell. And a lot of them are from an age where it was like people were really trying to get that information out. But then it's like, now you don't see as many stories coming out that have interesting new takes on, now I will say it's not a play, but it's a really good example, Modern Love. The show Modern Love has some very, very healthy depictions of various types of like queer relationships and uh i think we need more things like that in monologues in stage plays for sure i will have to read bent i have not i have not read that one it did it did come up in a list that i was i was looking at and 
it's one I have added because I do, I want to, I want to understand and, and learn more. And part of how we do that is through literature and art. Uh, Charlie. 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 So uh, both Bent and She Kills Monsters uh, were on my list. Um, <laughs> I I think it says something uh, yeah. when uh, plays show up multiple times for uh, multiple people. One that I'll talk about instead is Almost Maine. Um, it's probably not known for being LGBT. Uh, it has, uh, it's, a, it's a show about a series of vignettes of people falling in and out of love. Um, LCT did it uh, a few years ago. Um, I directed it a few years before that. And when I directed it, I did it for my church. And uh, this scene with two guys falling in love, literally falling for each other, I was heavily encouraged to take it out. Uh, and a few years later when I was in it, uh, I was actually in that scene. So I think it, I don't know, like we have come a long way. Um, I think there's uh, more representation and uh, better conversations happening about LGBT and our issues and what have you, but we're still not there yet. So almost Maine. You were so adorable in that show. <laughs> I That was one of my favorite scenes in that show. And I didn't even realize, I didn't, I know that you and I had talked about doing that show and you didn't get to do it, but I didn't even think, I did not think about that connection of you couldn't do it at your church and then you got to be in that scene and perform it for an audience and share that story in such a way. And that's, that's powerful, my friend. That is powerful. We need more of that. My, um, one of the ones I've talked about is, uh, that I love is Fun Home. Um, that's on my list. The music from it, I absolutely love. I love the, the marketing behind it. I love the, the, f the fact of normalizing a child actor within those stories and there's humor to it. There's point, there's, there's still trauma and there's still negative uh, growing relationships, but there's still conversation and there's still hope and, and humor and all of those things that wrap up into one thing. I'd love to see us do fun home at some point. If Jed was here, he'd tell you that uh, ACT and Abilene did it not too long ago and he got to be I don't remember if he was in it or if he was on the production of it, but either way. That's impressive that Abilene would do that. It's a fairly controversial show. So I'm pretty sure. I, I don't think I'm making that up. I'm pretty sure they did. Hey, I just wanted to respond to something real quick here. Daniel, buddy, sorry. No, you are making that up. Fun Home has, as far as I know, never been produced at Abilene Community Theater, and certainly not during my tenure there, though there is a large contingency of people who would like to see it produced there. So maybe it'll happen at some point. We did do the Laramie Project in, I want to say 2016? 2016 or 2017, we did the Laramie Project, but I was not directly involved in that, other than my wife and I photographing it and doing the posters and the marketing and so on. Charlie will be interested to know that ACT is planning a production of Almost Maine for their upcoming season. So if all goes well, that will go up in the end of March 2021. So that's pretty cool. All right, I will let you get back to your conversation now. I wanted to go see Amarillo Little Theater's version because a good friend of mine here, Jacob Miller, 
uh, actually was in the alt version. And so was Marley. Marley used to be um, a Lubbock. Uh, she played uh, Joan. Yeah. And I, I loved that for her. And I saw pictures and saw her talking about it. And it looked like, it looked like a really great piece of theater. Yeah. I was. I think that show would be beautiful in, in, at the Boston, like in our, in our theater. It's just so intimate. Yeah. Back at the top, are we? Yes, Daniel. Which means it's me. Um, so, okay. And the next one is Angels in America, which I have seen, I have only seen the first half in person. Like Tech put it on in, I'm going to say 2004, five, six, somewhere in there. I know I was still going to Tech at the time and I graduated in 2007. So somewhere around there. Um, and I saw the first half in the big theater and it was awesome. Um, but I've seen the movie, uh, the version on HBO, um, seen both halves. Um, and either way, it's just, it's, it's real good. Um, it's super sad. Um, it's a lot to take in, but it is very good. Anybody else seen Angels in America? They're all just looking at me. <laughs> that was my next one. Uh, what were you going to say about it, Beth? I think that in the beginning when all of the, when all of these, uh, some of these things were coming out, I shouldn't say all, some of these things are coming out. They're all framed within the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. I think that is what, that is where culturally where we were at the time, but I do not, not think that that defines the LGBTQ community, certainly not anymore. Um, but for so long that was wrapped up in the identity and I'm glad that we've moved past, well, we've done, I don't want to say moved past, we've done a better job of being more comprehensive instead of just that one thing. Um, mm -hmm. but yes, I, I have not seen angels done live. Um, I saw the, the Meryl Streep HBO mm -hmm. version and was, and I was incredibly moved. And of course it doesn't hurt when you have a cast like that, but yeah. I thought it was great. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've not seen it. I've not seen the movie. I've not seen the play. I've not read the play. Um, Ooh. I will put that on. I know. I know. Everyone's like, I get it. I will go read it. I will go watch it. You know, life sometimes. And that's not an excuse. So it's on the list. I'm going to do it. Yeah, it was uh, when I saw it at Tech, like it was like they actually did the the nude scene where he's getting checked and like, and I was, it was just, it was like, it was jarring, like in person be like, oh, I did not, especially in Lubbock, Texas, at Texas Tech, I did not expect that um, full frontal male nudity. I was like, oh, okay, we're doing this. But I mean, that scene is designed to make you uncomfortable because he's uncomfortable and like you're supposed to try to, you know, get you into that mindset. And I can't imagine so. what it's like as an actor to be asked to portray that type of a scene that is so full of vulnerability then i mean i can't i can't fathom that yeah all so, right well, zach you, oh sorry uh, no i was just gonna make fun of uh, beth for stealing my first round pick and so i stole hers so. <laughs> you're welcome is it my turn it is uh okay so this is actually a show title that i got from heather um, she mentioned it, I think, in a play selection meeting a few months ago. It's called The Cake by Becca Brunstetter. 
Um, and I just ordered the script last week. I read it on Monday and it's just kind of stuck with me. Um, so it says Della makes cakes, not judgment calls, those she leaves to her husband, Tim. But when the girl she helped raise comes back to North Carolina <laughs> to get married and the fiance is actually, actually a female, Della's life gets turned upside down. She can't really make a cake for such a wedding, can she? For the first time in her life, she has to think for herself. Just a really good piece of theater. I'm so glad you got that script. Yes. I am totally stoked about that because I love the idea of, of it being through the eyes of someone who needs to be opened. Yes. Yeah. To how to reach those people, how to change that narrative, how to get them to understand um, a different perspective. Yeah. Um, I, that's particularly why I like it. Yeah, it's just, it's really good, very conversational and the way that it's written and I don't know, it's it's like on my list to direct one day. I would like to say that no matter what we do in this readers theater format, does not take a, the place of anything we do in the future on stage. Yeah, because <laughs> I can feel that being what people want to say. I don't think that's true. And and it's got this whole like added. Um, I guess added drama because the 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 one the fiance is black and so you've got that whole situation like you know they're they're lesbians and it's interracial so so you have never had to deal with any of those type of stereotypes (laughs) yeah so Um, I, I would I would like to read that when you when you have a chance. I still have yeah, some definitely. scripts I've got to give to you, give back to you. You need to make sure you have like a catalog and library of all your scripts when you lay I them do. out. Oh, okay, <laughs> my, name, my name is on that list. <laughs> um, Please don't. <laughs> since Beth already had her stolen, we're back to Miss Robin. Hello. Um, Yes, my number three is something that I don't believe will be done near here anytime soon. I don't think this area of the country is ready for it. Um, But Jesus, Queen of Heaven, or The Gospel According to Jesus, Queen of Heaven, uh, by Joe Clifford in 2009, and then revitalized for a 10-year anniversary edition in 2019. Um, It's the story of Jesus returning to Earth as a trans woman. Um, when it was originally, it was, it's by a Scottish playwright who is also a trans woman and is one of the first plays ever to be written and also star, uh, a trans woman. Wow. Um, when it came out, it was called An Affront to the Christian Faith by the Archbishop of Glasgow, who had never seen it. Um, but over the years, it's kind of entered the conversation in England and Scotland as, um, provocative, quirky, um, emotional, heartfelt. People have said that they've left the theater with like a renowned sense of duty to their fellow man. And a really interesting fact that I learned while researching it is that in Brazil, it became so, their production of it became so important once they adapted it, that it is seen as a political act for a city or like a county to do the show and for people to go see the show. It is seen as a declaration of your favor towards diversity and LGBT rights in the country. Wow, I have never heard of that. Yeah, that was a super interesting thing. I'm sorry, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on here. You can cut that out. Beat me out if you're not. That was a super freaking interesting thing that I learned while researching. 
Uh, I'm going to have to put that on the list. I have, I've never, I've never even heard of that. That's very interesting. Can you say the title one more time? Cause I'm over here scribbling all of y'all's shows. Uh, it's uh, the gospel according to Jesus, queen of heaven. Thank you. And who wrote it? Uh, Joe Clifford, uh, J-O. Awesome. So one of the things that I was looking at was when I was trying to look up specific themes or specific writers, tra- how, how many trans writers are there even going around about right now? But C- certainly at least published and how it's amazing to me how hard it was to find and search out. I wish there was like a database or, or some type of program that you could put those filters in if you wanted to specifically raise this, this type of voice up, I guess going to my, going to my friends in the LGBTQ community and saying, Hey, can you show me some scripts? That's, that's, that's the extent that I have right now. Heather. So the dramat dramatist play service does a book club quarterly. And so they send seven new scripts and I've been subscribed for about two years. And out of those seven scripts, usually two of those scripts are written by minority voices like what you're talking about. So that might be a good resource. I will say you and I have talked about that before and I do, I would love to see LCT and or myself just be a part of that book club to get those new scripts in just to grow our library and have the access to it. Yeah. Robin, thank you for bringing to our attention stories that we probably wouldn't have even known to search for, honestly. That is, the la- that is the end of the obscurity. And from here on in, it's all mainstream. Ah. Well, thank God for some mainstream <laughs> stuff though, right? Like the, these stories should be mainstream. Yeah, they absolutely. Should be mainstream. Which is, it's, 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 it's interesting that like, I mean, like I'm not to, but like, it's interesting that like of the length of time that there have been LGBT people in theater because theater has been a home, like a safe place for LGBT people to try and go for like ever to just sort of, you know, even especially closeted people because that's where that's where you can be other people. You know, you can be anyone you want when you're acting. That's, you know, I know, I know a lot of people who are actors who are queer who have very similar experiences of like, oh, when I first got into acting, it was because I was trying to figure out who I was. And by being other people, I was able to sort of more so establish who I was coming back to after my roles and that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that with that being such a common theme, we still only now in like the 2010s are getting mainstream stories that are actually getting Broadway runs about queer stories with queer lead characters made by queer people. It's, yeah. it's tragic, but that is, I mean, that's, that's where we're at. at least it's happening now, but it's just, it's sad that it's has, that has to have only started happening recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Charlie, what is on your list? Uh, so my last one um, is uh, Dog Sees God, Confessions of a Teenage Blockhead. Um, and, uh, it is a show about the Peanuts gang, uh, in high school, and they're all sorts of different from, uh, how you would recognize them. Um, it's, uh, kind of a parody. Um, several of the characters are gay or in the closet, um, and the rest of them are either about getting drunk or high or both. Um, it's 
a funny show, but it's also pretty dark. Um, there's, um, you know, I would say if you were to read this or see it, there's trigger warnings for suicide and uh, various other um, issues. It's it's a good show, though. Uh, it reminds me kind of of uh, high school. You know, there is one kid who was out and uh, the rest of them were, uh, the rest of uh, LGBT people were not because it wasn't a safe place to be or what have you. So it's a good show. I remember, yeah. Charlie, you did that show at Tech and that just that production was so fantastic and you were great. Thank you. I, Thank I you. loved that show. I, uh, were, I played. Were you Linus? You were Linus, weren't you? I yes I was yeah, very he, much yeah he, he, I, that's perfect so love, I love Linus I still have actually um, I asked if I could keep the hat from oh, that show I still have it and wear it from oh, time to time I love that Linus is the like the pothead in the show right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah he he his sister like burn his blanket and he uh, ended up smoking the ashes or something. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. I have not seen that production, but I have heard about it because one of my uh, biggest memories, my first lead and all that was You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And so I, the Peanuts characters kind of hold a special place. And then when I heard that this was a script, I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's one I need to read. Absolutely. I want to see that one so much. Uh, it's on my list as well. I want to see it. Uh, my, I feel like for some reason I'm only on number two when all of y'all are like on your last ones. I don't know if I've been actually saying anything of value <laughs> or adding to the conversation. Um, my number two is for colored girls who have considered suicide or where the rainbow is enough. It is by um, and please forgive me if I mispronounce this, um, Intazaki Shang. So when I was looking up stuff, this was one that came up and I was reading through, cause like I said, it's, it, it, this list couldn't come about for me based on stuff that I have seen in my small area of the world. So, um, when this, when this description said this groundbreaking choreo poem is a, I was like, I want to see a choreo poem is a spellbinding collection of vivid prose and free verse narratives about and performed by black women. But let me tell you, that is not the only reason that it really stood out to me. So this was what the New York Times had to say about it. Their voices meld, their bodies tumble and tangle together, and sisterhood becomes a single hydra-headed, multi-tongued entity, invincible and indivisible. God help the man who dares to cross it. And that right there is enough for me to want to see this amazing work of art for sure. I think there, there's a movie version of that. I think Tyler Perry directed it. Um, Whoopi Goldberg is in it. Um, it's it's got like a powerhouse cast. Um, it's it's worth watching. I mean, choreo poem. That's mm-hmm. that sounds freaking beautiful and brilliant yeah. I, I i want to see this i will i will go search up the movie because i was not aware that it was also also a movie but 
I'm ready. I'm ready to open up some eyes and, and see more things and read more things and, and hear all these various voices because I am ready for it. Um, awesome. We're back to Daniel. All right. So this is only my fourth one, but it's also my last one because I just don't have enough. Um, and I have never seen a stage production of this, but I've seen the movie version of it. And I can only imagine that the stage production is amazing. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you probably know what it's going to be because I am a huge fan of Hedwig and the Angry Inch and we'll talk about it any chance I get. It's one I've just, I've been a fan of the movie version is the first one I saw. Um, and I've listened to that soundtrack so many times and seen the movie a number of times, have dressed up in drag to go and host the movie at Alamo. Um, so um, I don't know that we'll ever get it here, but if we did, man, that would be amazing to be a part of. So, um, so anyway, that's my, my last one. I love that. This is how much I know my friends. I also told Robin that one would be on Daniel's <laughs> list. Like, yeah. I feel like I feel connected to all of you people so, so much. Um, yeah, no, I, again, I will say I've not seen that one. You haven't even seen the movie? I have not seen the movie. Oh, man. And then the way that Daniel, I feel, I feel like I have let you down. I have let you down. I have let Hedwig down. I need to correct this. And I was on my list. I think Neil Patrick Harris did it recently on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tay Diggs has done it. And yeah, it's uh, like the Broadway version. Is, I, I can't imagine it would be, it would just be amazing to see. Like, yeah. so and there's an extra song or two that aren't in the movie. And, ah, it'd be fun. I want to see it real bad. So there's been a lot. I think we're going to maybe try to talk about this um, in another episode as well, because I think it deserves a lot longer of a just a few kind of touching upon it seconds but robin i figure might want to have say something about it other than me um about trans lives on stage and how they're portrayed yeah so i have a little bit of beef with hedwig and i have a couple of so my thing is like hedwig is very like you cannot deny the revolutionary like it came out at a time that like you just did not see trans people on stage that just wasn't something and like you like and yes like the the fact that they cast you know like they cast her boyfriend as a woman you know like there's always a woman actor that plays her boyfriend throughout the movie just to sort of keep that sense of like gender uh confusion sort of in the air that's that is that it's sort of like okay this doesn't matter you know like it's all it's all just you know like anyone can play anyone that's that's important and that was something that wasn't done when Hedwig came out I mean like other than in Shakespeare um but it is definitely a product of its time I think Hedwig and Kinky Boots both contribute to this problem of people confusing drag culture with LGBT presentation. I think a lot of people confuse drag queens and trans women and think it's, it it becomes very normalized to confuse a joke that's told on RuPaul with how a trans person experiences the world. And I, I've experienced this. I mean, like, I know that like in other places where, you know, your, your, your average person is more liberal, this might not be as common, but I know here, even in the most liberal spaces, I've encountered people who have given me crap because of the way I present and uh, mistaken me for, you know, and, and I've, I've had very uncomfortable comments made in my direction about Hedwig and about, oh, is that, is that how that happens? You know, is that just, is that, 
that just like the the risk that's and it's like yes again that is something that you know it's 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 good to tell stories about people who have gone through something horrific and then lived and managed to stay strong through it however that is not the only experience of transitioning and it is it is it is important that we have other yeah. uh, other stories other places to get information from and to get stories from that aren't based in a horrific event happening to them being horribly scarred in some way constantly being crapped on by everyone that they love the entire time the entire runtime and that's how they have to stay resilient you know i think it's it's time that we get stories where the trans people portrayed aren't the, uh, the entire point of the play isn't here's this person being trans and that is the story. I think you should just have characters in plays, in musicals, mainstream that happen to be trans that while that does not have to be the entire facet of their identity. You know, touch on it, explain it, address it, but don't make it the entire point of it, just how horrible it is for them to be them and how they have to live with that somehow. Thank you. I, uh, I'm so sorry. And really, and tangent. what I well, and I and I definitely think that um, that definitely deserves some extra conversating. I also was kind of thinking uh, along the lines of wanting to make sure that trans characters are also play like give trans actors. Oh yeah, more it's like opportunity. Every single person who's played be Hedwig those. has been like a very public eye gay man. It's been, I mean, like, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, what's his name? Darren Chris has also played Hedwig. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and, and Neil Patrick Harris, who is the Ellen DeGeneres of Broadway. Um, so. <laughs> That's so true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, and I, I can it, still I, love Neil Patrick Harris, but that is absolutely true. <laughs> that is absolutely true. I would have to look into it more because I can't remember exactly the phrasing and how it was put. But John Mitchell Cameron, who wrote um, and played Hedwig initially, does not think of Hedwig as a trans character um, because of like, like this is. I'd have, I'd have to look it all up because I don't want to like misrepresent what he was uh, meaning, but basically Hedwig only became a woman to escape Germany and not because, you know, he actually felt like a woman. Uh, does that make sense? If, um, okay, well, in that case, then we have absolutely no mainstream representation of trans people in theater if you remove Hedwig if, that, if that's because that that's basically saying here's this person who has transitioned and but not because they are a trans person and that is because that is their reality and that is how they are happy it is this is to escape a situation and not because this is who they actually are yeah and, and I'd need to look into it again because I like I, I feel like I'm doing a bad job of explaining what he was meaning behind I'd that. be very interested to read yeah. I, yeah, I, I think yeah. He, he, I think he was basically trying to say, like, he understands that this is not a good representation of trans life. That we and, should do better. Uh, like, and but that's also not what he was trying to do. Um, I think a very big underlying theme of the whole conversation around this list has been like, we should do better. Like, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's more. And as a person who I need to experience and read more and experience more um, as well, so. Now I will say songs like Wig in a Box are still bops and 
and I will I will not say like the I, like I can't lie like the first time I heard that song I was like all right cool like that is that's 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 accurate to how it feels to have to like pretend to be you know to, to put yourself to put it to try and figure out what which part of you is the facade you know based used, on based on what society expects of you I use that song to audition for nine to five so <laughs> phenomenal <laughs> job um, who would who brought what was that yours Daniel yes so we're at Zach. Uh, okay. Uh, so next on my list is Napoli Brooklyn by Megan Kennedy. Um, and so it focuses on this. It takes place in the 60s. Italian family, very, very religious. Um, and their daughters each have a secret. Um, and so one, one of the secrets is that uh, like the youngest daughter um, is struggling uh, with her sexuality and she's in love with her best friend in the neighborhood who and you, the feeling is mutual they're in love with each other um and so it's just her struggle to get her parents to understand that um and and that's not the whole story like it's not the focal point because each sister has has something that they're hiding um but it's a it's a really good piece of theater um, there's a plane crash in the middle um, that kind of changes the the trajectory of the story, but it's it's really good. See stuff like that. Whenever I hear someone say there's a plane crash, I always think about like, so how much of it do you see? How do I yeah. technically pull that off on stage? So are yeah. they just like, because that's scary. scary. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, it, I mean, and I think you're supposed to see part of the rubble. Like it's. It, it's just kind of unexpected. I don't know. I have not read that one. I have not. I, I, now, see, yeah, I'm making a list. Can you just share with me your list that you're making of everybody else's and yeah. yours so that it is easy? In fact, we should probably do that for every time we do a top five. Just have an accompanying, here's a list of the plays we talked about that you should go check out. What's up, Beth? Tell me yours. I feel so not good at this. And I'm I'm really feeling the blanket of shame. My last selection was a film based on another film, not a film based on a play. So it doesn't even count. So basically I'm done is what I'm telling you, but not done because I have also made a giant list. I'm showing it to them. None of you can see it. I've made a giant list <laughs> so that I am going to learn about these things. I think that's why we want to have these conversations, Beth. I think that your your reply is exactly why we want to make these lists and have these conversations so that I do think it's it can feel uncomfortable. It can feel, okay, where do I start? Where do I go? Because even when I started compiling this list, I had such a hard time even knowing, knowing where to go, knowing what to look for. And in that journey of trying to put this particular program together, that opened my eyes to the inadequacies of not having that content easily available. So, yeah. And even the, even the ones I did select feel like a cliche, like they're the, they're the top four in the top 40 or the top 10, you know, they're not, they're not those deep cuts, the good stuff that's buried on the album. It's also, um, it's just also, it's also important to have the reason 
society has favorites of things is because there's because they're, they're high quality. It's because they're well written. It's because there's a story that I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it, we have to shame ourselves for knowing about these main. It's beautiful that there is even some mainstream that doesn't have to take away from the conversation of saying we need to have more diverse mainstream. We need to have better, but we don't have to, to, to shame ourselves into feeling like to be enjoying mainstream representations. We want, we want more of that to, to be proud of more mainstream representations. And that's and my- it was the, it was the bird cage in case anybody cares. <laughs> Okay, so I was in a production of La Cage Full, which is what the birdcage is based off of. Um, Paul Fillingham was in it. Oh, um, I know Paul. Yeah, he, he was in it. Um, I so many of my friends that are still involved in theater. Um, we had a really great time doing that production. Lots of dancing, lots of, um, some of my, I still am friends with some, um, basically what I would akin to professional drag queens that are here local. Um, it brought in a lot of community members that I don't think had been on our stages or had felt, uh, included or comfortable. And I thought it was a really great experience, even though we did hear wind that there might've been some people planning on protesting. So we always got a little antsy, but nobody ever did. Everybody just came and had some fun and sang along and had a good time. I just can't get over uh, Hank Azaria and Nathan Lane. I just want them to be my next door neighbors <laughs> in those roles. Love it. All right, Robin, I want to hear this next one that you've got talking about. Okay, my number two is uh, The Prom from 2018 by Matthew Sklar, um, which was robbed of a Tony, uh, I will say. Um, (laughs) It was robbed the same year the SpongeBob musical was robbed. Um, (laughs) It did win a Drama Desk Award, though. Um, So it's about this group of actors that uh, they basically, like, they're at a failing show. And it's failing because their manager tells them basically like, you're all too selfish. No one would ever believe you in a lead role anymore. Like no one believes you care about anybody. So their show gets canceled. So they're like, all right, how do we help make people think we care about people? So they look on Twitter for causes and they find this girl from a small town who posts about her prom getting canceled because she wanted to bring her girlfriend. So they were like, all right, cool. Let's go and champion them bringing the prom back. And so it's like a roller coaster of emotion. I'm not going to spoil it because it's like, it's got twists and turns and it's super good, but it is, first of all, like amazing that we had like at the Tonys, like a lesbian couple like portrayed from high school on stage, you know, like it was, it's beautiful to see it. The, the musical is, is bombastic and exciting and emotional. And it led to the first LGBT kiss ever televised during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade when they performed a song uh, in 2018. Uh, and at the Long Acre Theater during that run of the show, it also hosted the first known onstage Broadway wedding between two women. So it has a lot of little tiny, very, like it's, it's been contributing in, in, in dividends toward the LGBT community at large and, and definitely showing their support um, on and off stage, uh, which I think is very important. And also telling a story about like a coming out in high school, which in such a real way that doesn't at any point poke fun at either of the people for being gay and presents both their situations as so realistic and, um, and honest. It is beautiful. Like it is, it is, it is not something that you see every day. And it's, it's, it is truly, truly worth checking out. Oh, it is on the list and I want to do it. I think that we've even talked about it when the rights are available. 
Yeah. Oh, I would Jay, love to see that at the Luca. Jay and Pam are like huge champions. Um, but hey, Robin, and I don't know if I am dreaming this, but is are they not making the prom into a movie? They are. They are yeah. indeed making it into a movie. Interesting. If we ever get Running. to make movies again. Uh, yeah. Ath- <laughs> yeah, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Reynolds is supposed to be in it. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I dig that. I'm ready for this. I am ready. I'm ready for it. Charlie, Charlie, lay it on down. Because, wait, did, um, you said you didn't have any more, right? I, I don't. Um, I get talk about uh one of my favorite podcasts um does a uh D type uh story um it's uh the mcelroy brothers uh and the adventure zone um yeah <laughs> three brothers and their dad play D for the first time and they uh kind of start off playing through an adventure path that's uh given through Wizards of the Coast, and then they start doing their own thing. Uh, and I believe they have um, four LGBT plus uh, couples uh, throughout the story, throughout the 69 episode run. Um, so it's not a play, uh, it's not a musical, but um, I think it's a story and I think it uh, should count. So if you're bored, uh, maybe on your drive uh to and from well maybe we're not driving anymore either yeah, i was gonna say he's but, going to work these know, days um, <laughs> uh if you find the time uh the adventure zone the balance arc done done i feel like uh i want to touch upon very quickly since i know we're kind of starting to run over time uh the color purple is on my list because i think that um it's not something that you obviously think about as being LGBTQ friendly or a story to tell, but I think that's why I like it even more because I think that that's not the biggest focus of the piece. And um, I think that that's why it's, it's a normalizing of that storyline without it being the major focal point. Um, and it's beautiful. It is breathtaking. I got to see that revival uh, with Cynthia Erivo, <gasps> Jennifer Hudson, and Dan. <gasps> and just like from a directing Man. standpoint, they just had chairs and it was like all like had a wooden aesthetic. I don't know. It was just jaw dropping. Like, I, it was. Yeah, that would be. That's crazy. Stunning. That's awesome. Stunning work. I, I, I would love to see that in person, especially with the people that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I follow them on Facebook and I see Cynthia, like she sometimes posts like just clip of her singing and it's just, I mean, just breathtaking. I love listening to her. I know that Daniel mentioned that he has had his, his list. So Zach, tell yeah. me. Um, my last one is love and uh, I'm going to mispronounce this word. V-A-L-O-U-R. Valor? Valor? Valor. I don't know. Love, Valor, Compassion by Terrence McNally. Um, And so it's, again, like a lot of the work that we've discussed, it takes place in the 80s at like right when the AIDS crisis is happening. But it focuses on eight um, gay men. They just vacation together um, at a beach house. 
and it's just their struggles. Uh, there's lots of relationship drama. There's some affairs happening. Um, one of them is, is slowly dying of AIDS. It's just a really, really, really good piece. Very sad. I think, I think a lot Nathan of Lane was also. I think Nathan Lane was in the original Broadway cast of that. Yeah. And there's there is there's also a movie version of it. What were you going to say, Daniel? I just that if you if it's a about gay men in the '80s, it's probably sad and that yeah. it, that sucks, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a it was a hard time to be. Yeah. That, so. Robin. Um. All right. I didn't realize we were running over time. So I'm going to be very quick. Um, I have a very quick honorable mention, which is God of Vengeance by uh, Sholem Ash, which has the distinction of having its entire cast and crew get arrested when it came to the U.S. for its depiction of a lesbian relationship on stage. Um, that was in 1923. So not that long ago, people were just getting arrested just for playing lesbians on stage. Oh, my um, gosh. And then my number one is Fun Home which I know we, ta- oh, we touched no. on briefly earlier, but I want to talk about just how like beautiful it is because it is autobiographical. Um, the, the Fun Home is, is the story of cartoonist Alison Bechtel adapted from the graphic novel adaptation of her life. Um, the author's discovery of her own sexuality, her relationship with her closeted gay father and her attempts to unlock the mysteries surrounding his life. Um, I know like I personally like super resonated with that show when I saw it, like the like uh, the song Telephone Wire, where she's trying to reach her dad during this drive and find some common ground to start a conversation about knowing that he's gay and wanting him to know her before it's too late and she can't see him anymore. And that is something that like, that's a conversation, like I've had that moment with my dad, you know, like trying to to find that common ground. And I think a lot of queer people have like had that moment with the people they love most in their lives, wanting, like just wanting to find that that common ground, that place of acceptance where you can keep that person in your life. it also happens to be the first Broadway musical ever with a lesbian protagonist. It did win five Tonys. Um, and yes! the name the name Alison Bechtel is still super influential due to this day. The, the Bechtel test being the measure of representation of women in fiction. Um, mm-hmm. A work of fiction passes the Bechtel test of two named women uh, talk to each other about something other than a man. Um, the Bechtel test has been name dropped everywhere in pop culture, including as recently as in an episode of Rick and Morty. So uh, I just think it's really important to that you have like, a real story told by a real person about their like their real experiences that got adapted into a a mainline Broadway musical that won awards including best musical for its and and the decision to do Ring of Keys as such a as as their Tony performance such like a reserved and quiet and powerful song as opposed to the bombastic numbers people usually do for for Tonys I think that was a very powerful choice to to provide that that raw moment instead of oh man uh, Ring of Keys is my favorite and that's it that's my last one And that's why you're here, Robin, because you need to give that info that when I'm like, oh, I love Fun Home because I love the music. And then it's like, oh, this is why we all should love Fun Home. (laughs) Um, The music's uh, also really good. Yes. I have a new uh, screenwriting app that I've been using um, to write some stuff. And it actually has in there, you can go in and you can assign... the character's agenda and then it'll actually tell you if your script passes the Bechdel test. <gasps> like, cool. So I like love that. Cool. So, so, so built into the thing you can be like do you have that's any scenes really where women <laughs> so I was like that's pretty neat. So. That, that's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah no I think that I've covered all of all of the my my top five as well. Um, 
Uh, is there anyone else that has anything they want to add to this as we wrap it up? I feel like I've done an awful job of keeping stuff going. I miss Jed. Jed needs to be here. <laughs> but anything else? You did great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I know that some of it was probably a harder conversation than we were prepared to have, but I think that that's why these things are important. And I just appreciate the insight given and the willingness to listen and hear. And I just love my, I love my theater community so much and I love all of you. So from everyone here uh, at Lubbock Community Theater, this is five till places. Five Till Places is a production of Lubbock Community Theatre. Special thanks to our guests this week, Zach Kosirik Gentry and Robin McCulloch. Our theme music is Pizza and Video Games by Bonus Points. Additional music this week was School Grounds by Sleepy Fish. Links to those artists and their work can be found in the show notes. Look them up and show them some support. Oh man, I wish I'd been there this week to talk about the Adventure Zone. That show is my jam. If you'd like to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on any of our subjects, you can do so at lctpodcast at lubbockcommunitytheater.org. Be sure not to miss an episode by subscribing to LCT's Five Toe Places on your favorite podcasting platform. If we aren't where you like to get podcasts, let us know and we'll get it there. Thanks for being with us this week, and as always, thank you for supporting live theater in the Lubbock, Texas area and beyond. Music